Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. This is Joe Lynch with the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And today's topic is LTL Basics with my friend, Doug Sartain. Welcome, Doug. How are you doing today, Joe? Very good. So Doug's an old friend of mine. I think I've probably known Doug at least 10 years, and we've worked together on some projects. I've always enjoyed his friendship. He's a good guy. He's down in Ohio. I'm up in here in Michigan. So we talk a lot about football. And Doug's one of those uh, sympathetic Ohio State fans who feel bad for Wolverines like me. But but Doug is also really a brilliant guy. He's an LTL guru. And so I was talking to him the other day about, let's do a podcast on LTL basics. And LTL's changed quite a bit in the last few years, last five years for sure. And Doug's the perfect guy to take us through some of those changes. If you want a little refresher on LTL, this is the guy to listen to. So, Doug, before we get started, introduce yourself, where you live, and where you work, and what your title is at your gig. Doug Sartain. I'm the Vice President of LTL Services at Redwood Logistics, and Redwood's one of the bigger players in the market space, does a great job, and I've been in this industry for over 30 years, so I have a good background that can really Go with the shipper, the carrier, even did some truckload, did some consulting. So I got a full background. Yep. Doug and I did some consulting. In fact, when you were going to Redwood, I remember sitting in the airport, I think to Dallas or Houston or somewhere, and you're like, I, I got to take this call. I was like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, we actually, we worked together at MetaOps, uh, a great consulting company up here in Michigan. And Doug used to live in Michigan for a little while. It must have been <laughs> difficult for a Buckeye to be up here. <laughs> anyway. Doug, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and uh, where you went to school, what you studied, and a little bit about your 30-year career. Keep it brief. (laughs) Okay. Uh, No problem, Joe. I live in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and I was born and raised here except for my three years up in Michigan and my four years up in New York where I went to college. So graduated high school, went up to go to pre-law up at New York State University up in Albany, and I wanted to come back to Ohio to earn money for law school. So you forgot you were a scholarship athlete, dude. Well, I want to <laughs> say that, but yeah, I had a chance to play baseball. And so I did play baseball, which is one of the reasons why I went to New York because, you know, they recruited me. In any event, I came back to the Cleveland area to earn money for law school. So I got a job at Roadway Express and I just absolutely fell in love with the trucking environment. It was everything I wanted it to be. It was competitive. It was changing every day. It was fast paced. It was aggressive. So I said, you know, who needs law school? I'm going to stay in the trucking world. So worked at Roadway for about eight years and then had an opportunity to go to a private carrier with one of my former bosses at Roadway who brought me over, did that for a couple of years. Then I had a really good opportunity to go over to Pitt, Ohio, which is a unbelievable company. Great ownership. One of the leaders in its LTL space. Spent eight years there, worked my way up from terminal manager all the way to the regional director in, in charge of nine of their facilities. And then I had an opportunity to take on sales and operations over at Ward Trucking. 
And I didn't have a sales background and I wanted to get that. So I went over there for a few years, managed sales and operations on a regional level. And then I said to myself, you know, I created this pickup and delivery route system and a new concept. And I said, if I ever was going to do this and go off on my own, now would be the time. So I decided to go into the consulting world. And I've done that for the last 15 or so years, helping carriers turn around their profits and improve their operating efficiencies. And then I also did some work with some 3PLs and I did some work with some shippers. So I had all of it at that point. And then Redwood Logistics called me two years ago and asked me if I'd come over to work with them because they needed someone with a strong carrier background. So through my executive management at the carriers, I said, wow, this is a great opportunity because my son plays college basketball and I would not have to become a road warrior anymore and I could actually go to some of his games. So it's been a great fit ever since I came over here. Yeah, excellent. And Doug has this great experience in that he's taught me a lot about LTL over the years. And one of the things I think is interesting is he's one of those guys who's, since he's been in the terminal, he understands the costs. And we'll get into how the LTL costs in a minute, because you want to understand the carriers the best you can. And not everybody who's a broker or a 3PL has that insight that Doug has. He's actually (laughs) been in charge of trucks. So Doug, let's talk a little bit about what LTL is versus truckload. So And I'll use the example we talked about when we were prepping. So if I have four pallets and I'm in New York City and I want to ship to LA, I can just call a truckload carrier and they'll come and they'll take my four pallets and they'll gladly take it and they'll charge me, I don't know, three, four grand, whatever it is to get it out to LA. And I'm going to be really overpaying because I'm only using a small percentage of truck. So somewhere along the line, I, the market needed better options. And so less than truckload developed as a a marketplace. And that allows me to get my stuff out from New York to LA, consolidate with some other people's freight. Talk a little bit about that market and how it's evolved. I want to get into some of the changes that have happened in recent years in the less than truckload market. Sure. To your point, Joe, and you're correct. Uh, Truckload is basically one pickup, one delivery, one driver, one trader. And, you know, you make your pickup, you fill up your trader and you go off to your destination, you drop it, you find a new load. LTL says, why pay for all that unused space? Because the cost is in the mile for the truck load. So what was happening was a bunch of people got together many, many years ago and said, I'll take this space, I'll take this 10 feet, you take this 10 feet, I'll take this five feet. And then the LTL world evolved. So it's a hub and spoke model, so to speak, where you have terminals, origin terminals, you have destination terminals, and then you have the point between origin and destination terminal, which in the LTL world is referred to as line haul. And those guys simply go, they basically take a full truckload from one point to the next. And so in the LTL world, the costs are very different. You have three brick and mortar facilities. You have the origin terminal, the destination terminal, and a breakbulk terminal. And a breakbulk terminal is a consolidation point, and it just simply gets all the freight fed into it, and then like kind of like the hub and spoke, and then blows it out to the destination terminals. And then it's a very efficient model, and it works out really well. And it was able to save shippers a lot of money because they're only going to pay for the 10 feet that their freight takes up. 
Yep. So Doug, if I was you go back to my example. So rather than me calling a truckload carrier and moving it on a truck that's way too big for my needs, I would call an LTL carrier and there would be like a route driver, a local driver, a city driver, whatever you want to call him. And he would come from a terminal in the city, so somewhere outside the city of New York. He would come pick up at my facility, take it back to their terminal, and then it would be moved somewhere west heading towards LA, right? Talk about that. That's correct. So a local guy will start typically, local pedal driver, which is also referred to as a city driver, he will start in the morning and he'll take deliveries out and he'll deliver those shipments and then he'll make pickups in the afternoon typically. They bring it back to the terminal that evening and the outbound dock operation recognizes that Joe, the driver, picked up you know three skids for California. Well, Mike picked up four skids for California and Doug picked up five skids and Steve picked up four skids and they consolidate it at the origin terminal and they say, we've got pretty much a full load or we have a half a load or whatever number that is. And we're going to dispatch that in our line haul operation that evening towards California. If it's a full load of California and specifically, let's call it the LA area, it'll go all the way to LA and bypass a brake bulk in the middle, which might be, call it St. Louis, or maybe even two brake bulks, depending on the length of haul. So if you have a half a trailer, what happens is New York picks up and they load a half of California, and they'll match it up with, let's say, a half a load of St. Louis. The trailer will go to St. Louis. St. Louis will then take the half a trailer of their freight, reload that half, with their California freight, and then off to California it goes. So it's a very efficient model, and you know there's transit service days that get measured from origin to destination, and all the carriers are relatively the same, but it is somewhat of a sales advantage if you can beat service by a day. Yep. So, Doug, what we just described has been around for quite a while, and I think some of the criticism of less than truckload over the years was it takes longer than truckload. You do have these stops in the middle, right? If I was going New York to LA with a truck, it was it was at three or four days. And a truckload could get there in you know th- three or four days. And the LTL, you're looking at five. Yep. So it was traditionally a little longer. There was also more handling with the less than truckload. So more handling meant more opportunity for damage, more opportunity for loss. So that was obviously something that they wanted to address. Another thing they wanted to address, they didn't want to address, hours of service came around. So that was a big change, right? That's correct. And as always, they want to get better at their service. They want to get better at reducing costs, reducing the time. So talk a little bit about some of the changes that have happened with the relay and also with pups and anything else that you've seen in recent years with less than truckload. Well, the trailers got bigger and they got bigger in a few ways. You know, the old 45, 96 inch wide trailers became 48s and the added three feet basically gave you you know, let's call it two skid spots and four if you double. And then the traders went from the 96, 98 wides. They went to 102 wides, which is what the Department of Transportation says the width can be. It's maximum. And at this point, it's 53 feet because it went from 45 to 48 to now 53. Well, then pups got introduced way back even before the 53s. They became 102 wide and they became 28 feet. Describe what a pup is, Doug, please. A pup is a 28-foot trailer. So it's if you took a 53-footer 
and you cut it in half and put a trader door on both halves of it and with wheels and, and a fifth wheel and you blew it down the highway, you would have two trailers instead of one. So it really made the LTL world more efficient because the California and in the New York example. So if you have New York to California, you can load one pup for California and one pup for St. Louis, or you can name it somewhere else. Then you go to an intermediate point and that trailer can stay fully loaded with the back door shut and sealed and doesn't even have to be worked. Then the next brake bulk terminal then finds another pup to match it with, and then it goes off to final destination where both pups are heading to the same destination point for final. Yep. So, Doug, the idea is, again, those pups, let's just say there's half of it's going to LA and the rest is going to another terminal, and you can use a pup so you don't have to unload two times. That's correct. And, you know, it was interesting when I was in Laredo on the same project you were on, we were in, down in Laredo and I remember I said, what would it, we were talking about moving freight from Laredo to Minneapolis. And I said, how many stops? And the guy said, no stops. It would go right from Laredo, This we would use a pup, right to the destination terminal. So in the past, that probably might have stopped twice on the way to Minneapolis. And then they say, nope, just once. Just once at the terminal. So uh, big changes. So what other changes have happened in recent years with the less than truckload carriers? Well, I think the packaging changed a little bit. This, of course, is up for debate. But the claim ratio went from 0.3.5, which would be on the outstanding side. And it's now increased. And it's increased for perhaps 1% of total sales would be in claim dollars. And I think packaging had something to do with that. Shippers that ship a lot of freight, they have to look for cost savings. And one thing is, well, I'm going to use a weaker shrink wrap, or I'm going to use less of that shrink wrap, or I used to put shrink wrap in tape. Now I'm not going to put the tape on there, or I'm going to have a pallet. And I used to pay 50 bucks for that pallet. And now I'm only going to pay 25 bucks for that pallet. It's not going to be as thick and heavy duty as it was because I can reduce my costs. That really has changed. Some hour service things have changed as far as driver's ability. Some of the logging things have changed. It went into electronic logging now. That's very different. Now, these are all things that add costs to a carrier. So, you know, in the old days, you used to be able to break freight off of a skid and you can maximize cube of that trailer. And now everything is palletized or the overwhelming majority is. And you also are seeing shippers say, I'm going to palletize my freight, which makes your world easier, Mr. Carrier. However, you're unable to double my freight and you're unable to load anything on top of it. So the shipping rates have changed. It used to be freight margins back in the 70s were unbelievable. They were 20% margins. Now, if a carrier, the best carrier has 10% margins, then they're considered elite. Yep. And many carriers fall into that five or less percent margins. So, Doug, let's talk a little bit about, you You mentioned the packaging, and I know we talked a lot about when we were prepping. The packaging thing bugs me because what a horrible way to save money. I mean, you do not want to skimp on packaging. But also when somebody says, and again, I've, I've been part of this idiocy, so I should get off my high horse, is when you say, please don't stack on top of my stuff, meaning my packaging won't be able to prevent the damage if they're stacking. And I think one of the things you're saying is 
what do you have, 3,400 square cubic yeah. feet? One of the things that changed, Joe, and I'll, and I'll touch on this and then I'll get to your 3,400, is the old days used to say, well, just load freight in there and then I'll kind of consolidate my costs and you know look at what it is aggregate-wise and then say, here's what it is. Now it's measured by the cubic foot of a trailer. In a 53-footer, and uh, again, it's not quite 3,400. It's a little bit less because you got inside dimensions. But let's just round it up and say it's 3,400. Now the carriers are saying, I want to maximize every space of that trailer, all 3,400, because that's revenue on that cubic foot. And that's where we're at with that. So when I tell you, hey, Doug, don't stack on top of my stuff, what I'm telling you or the carrier and you're the 3PL is make less money. At some point, that cost is going to be come back on me, right? That's absolutely correct. So why not spend it on packaging? (laughs) Well, that's true. And some, you know, that's the other side of the argument, but, or, you know, traders have now decking where they'll put like bars or actual platforms down to double stack skids. That's been one of the alternatives the carriers yep. kind of go in towards. Uh, I like it. So we had some questions that we put together. And I want to ask, when we were talking offline, you talked quite a bit about the idea of working with the carriers and trying to understand their requirements, basically getting that shipper of choice discussion. And really this is getting a little more into the, what do they want? So how do LTL carriers measure their success? It's measured by operating ratio. And what an operating ratio is, it's the relationship of cost to revenue, just like your family budget. So if you have income coming in that's $100, you don't want to have expenses that are beyond that. So if you have cost of $100, and then what the carrier is saying is, I got to have more than $100 in revenue to have my ratio. So the lower the number is the better number. When you get above 100 on an operating ratio, you are now losing money as a carrier. Yeah, Doug, so why is that different than just gross margin? Why do they use operating ratio? It's just a metric that they've they've held to for the years. It's It's been the, the standard of all measurement because it's very simple, right? You have revenue and you have cost. And, you know, if you can operate at a 90, it means for every dollar that you take in, your cost is 90 cents. So you have a 10% margin or a 10% profit. What is the operating ratio that most of these companies are shooting for? Your really good carriers are around that 90 mark. Your average carriers are going to fall into that 93 to 95 mark. And then your poor operating are going to be over the 100 or they're going to be break even at best. Yikes. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. not good. <laughs> you know, it's why New England goes out of business, right? So I remember in the past having been part of a negotiation where we got really great rates. And then we, when it came back, the LTO carriers weren't hitting their LTO operating ratios. And they're just like, hey, we're, we got to go back and renegotiate this until we hit our ratios. <laughs> That's correct. Carriers look at it and they say, I've got you know, 3,400 cubic feet, I got to fill that space with all the revenue because my costs are X. And what's happened in the LTL industry is the labor cost, you know, partly due to the driver shortage. The labor cost is ridiculous. There's not enough drivers in the industry today and it's getting worse. So LTL carriers say, I've got good drivers. I don't want to lose those. So the only way I'm going to keep them is to treat them right, get them home, so their family and quality of life is improved. And then I got to pay them on top of that. And I got to pay them at, you know, industry rates or better to have them stay with my company. 
It's interesting, Doug. I was walking through a, a terminal and a, a carrier you know really well here, one of the bigger ones in Detroit area. But they're big in the Midwest and the Southeast. And I remember when we um, took the tour with the terminal manager, he kept saying, if you know anybody who wants to drive, and this was city driving, so you wouldn't even, you would just be picking up in the Detroit area. And if you know anybody who can drive, then he said, they just have to pass the drug test and have good driving record. And I was like, oh, I'll think about it. Surely I know somebody I could direct there who's looking for a gig. And then it started hitting me like, yeah, you know, I think that guy smokes weed, so I can't get him. He's got too many tickets. After a while, I started realizing it ain't easy. (laughs) It's not easy finding people who can uh, pass the muster on that job. And if you hire a bad driver, a driver that's going to, you know, have some accidents or not show up for work or be rude to a customer, it will cost you more money than that driver is worth. So carriers, your really good quality carriers have high standards and they stick to those standards and they won't compromise it. And it really, that's why they're one of the better operating carriers today, because they hire great guys or women. Women in this industry have done a phenomenal job. It's one of the things that's really changed. The days of, you know, women not being in the industry changed a little bit. It's it's nowhere near where it needs to be because I've known some really good quality drivers that were women. Yeah. And with city driving, yeah, and women are more likely to say, I don't want to stay on the road. I don't blame them. With LTL, they can be at home every night. Yeah. And they do a great job. Carriers today are more open to that, which is a great thing for the industry. Good. So, Doug, you started to talk about costs. So, talk about how the LTL carrier costs are broken down and talk about some of the larger LTL carrier costs that they're trying to limit. All right. Well, costs for a carrier are broken down into two major categories. First being fixed, that's your terminal rents, your salaried employees, and a few other costs that you know every single month, it's going to stay the same. That is only roughly 30% of total cost in the carrier world. The overwhelming majority is on the variable cost side. Variable costs include huge expenses such as labor, fuel, equipment maintenance, and all these things are increasing significantly from one year to the next. Now, we did see a decline in fuel this year due to COVID because the capacity of fuel went up because people weren't driving around, okay? So we did see a little bit, but normally that's that's not the case. So those three expenses, just those three, will make up 70% of the 70% of variable cost. Those all can be controlled in the amount of miles that that local city driver, line haul driver in the LTO world drives. Less miles will equal less labor, will equal less fuel, and less wear and tear on your equipment. And you know another thing, Joe, is insurance. I feel bad for some of these carriers. Insurance rates because of nuclear settlements, which are the multi-million dollar settlements against the carrier, their insurance costs have gone up between 20 and 40% in a single year. Somebody has to pay for that. That is going to drop down to the shipper level. So shippers have this misconception. And they say when business levels drop, why should I see an increase in my rates? Let me just walk through a very simple example, if, if I have a minute, because it really yep. Yep, please how, do. how the operating ratio ties into this. So if I had 10 shipments and they all were $100 in a perfect world, I would have $1,000 revenue on that trailer. I'm going to run 
My furthest point from the terminal is 90 miles. So let's just say it's a dollar a mile. So my cost is going to be 90 or, or so, right? Let's assume it's $900 and I factor in my labor and everything else, right? $100. Yep. So I have nine shipments or 10 shipments of $1,000. So now I am down to $900 of cost, $1,000 of revenue, operated at 90, I got a 10% margin. If business drops and I'm down to seven shipments and I'm only getting $700 of revenue instead of 1,000 now, my cost is going to be the same. And here's why. Because the three shipments I lost were not the last three shipments on my pedal route. They were shipments typically in the middle. So I'm still running the same number of miles. So the driver labor takes time, the equipment takes time, and the fuel takes the, the amount of cost. So right. I haven't lost anything on my cost side. So that's why my operating ratio went from a 90, now it's at a 130. Yeah. So if you look at, Doug, you talked about the fixed costs are 30%. Those are the same. And then when you talk about variable the labor, you still have the same amount of guys, right? Right. You still, as you said, same route. It's the same amount of fuel. And the truck's driving about the same amount of miles. There's probably not a big savings in miles or fuels at that point. That's correct. Makes sense. Makes sense. So what your point is, is during some of these ups and down times that we're living with the pandemic, you're not going to necessarily say, oh yeah, the LTO carriers are all going to be begging for my business. They're not going to be giving you great rates. Right. Well, in the old days, the carriers used to do this and they got in trouble and went out of business. They would say, I'm going to go and drop my rates or I'm going to charge the shippers less money to fill the trucks. Right. And what they found is because LTL is very different. Now, remember, it's not truckload. You have three brick-and-mortar facilities. You have an origin, a destination, and a brake bulk, right? So what works for the origin, because now they fill that capacity up, may actually hurt the destination because the revenue per hundredweight or the revenue per shipment is not as great as it used to be. So what made the origin slightly more profitable or a break even to fill with decreased rates has now jeopardized profitability on a destination because they're the one that's got to go deliver that freight. And there's a cost in both the pickup and the delivery of that operation. Exactly. So Doug, what are some of the misconceptions people have about LTL carrier pricing? Well, like I said, the first one, the biggest one is you need freight, Mr. Carrier, so drop my rate. They can't do that because the costs haven't gone down in a sense. The other thing is, is I hear this all the time. I'm giving a particular carrier more freight, so therefore my rates should improve. And in some cases, that's very true. But because carriers measure things on a lane balance, in other words, you have head haul and backhaul. So an LTO carrier, if they have 100 shipment, I'm just rounding this up. If I have 100 shipments and I can fill my traders going out, I want to get 100 shipments and fill my traders coming back. So if a particular shipper increases their business in a carrier's head haul lane, that actually creates a further imbalance on the backhaul coming back. Because in the LTL world, you have to balance equipment, traders, so far, it's not a truckload world where you finish a delivery, you can go anywhere you want. If you took a trader from the origin, somebody's got to bring that trader back. In some cases, in that meet and turn line haul operation, it ends up being an empty. Well, there's no revenue because you can't say to a driver, well, I'm not going to pay you for this empty leg that you're going to run because the driver's going to say, well, then I quit. 
So you got to pay for that. You got to pay for the fuel and you got to pay for the equipment maintenance and wear and tear on that vehicle, yet you're getting no revenue for that. So carriers watch very carefully today to balance their head haul and backhaul lanes. So a shipper that might give double the business could actually hurt a carrier's profitability. Not in all cases, but it could happen. Yep. Yep. So Doug, when we were prepping for this, you talked a lot about the whole idea of becoming a better partner for the carrier. So if you're a shipper or 3PL like you, the idea is to become a better and better partner. If you want to get better service, you want to get better pricing, become a partner. And you and you talk a lot, the term shipper of choice is probably overused a lot. So let's switch gears and talk a little bit about becoming a partner and becoming that shipper of choice. And by the way, Doug wrote this humongous article and I put a link to it. We don't have time to go through it all today, but it's like 27 points. And I was like, it's all legit. So if you're an LTL shipper, you definitely want to take a look at this. Yeah. Let's go back to our earlier statements on how a carrier measures its profitability. It either has to have more revenue than cost, right? That's just the basics. So If a carrier has a shipper and the costs are going up, they're going to penalize that shipper. Well, there's things a shipper can do to say, look, I don't want to see a rate increase that allows that revenue side of the equation to get greater, which offsets your higher cost. What if, Mr. Carrier, I went to you and I said, don't raise my rates, but I'm going to lower your operating expenses which is going to also improve your profitability. So it's a flip side of the way to improve carrier profitability. And there are certain things that shippers can do. For instance, they can have flexible shipping and receiving hours. The shippers that say, I'm going to open up at 8 a.m. and I'm going to stop receiving and stop shipping at 2 p.m. Well, that really handcuffs carriers because they don't have that full business day to work within. So they're planning on whether they're inbound planning for their routing or their pickups and on the afternoon, that jeopardizes that. So what the carrier says is, well, that's not good for me. So I'm going to have to charge you more, or maybe I'm not even going to bid on your business if you're closing at 2 p.m. And then what I find is in some cases, shippers are there till five, six o'clock at night. They just want to wrap up early. So they penalize the carrier, not realizing that their rates are reflected by that. So also Shippers go to lunch and the carrier might be at noon ready to deliver a shipment. Well, he can't go to his next stop because those four skids are blocking him in. So he shows up at the dock and the shipper or the consignee, the customer says, you know what, come back in an hour. Well, the carrier says, I can't come back in an hour. I might as well just have to wait. Well, that cost is in detention time for the carrier. So guess what? Those rates for that shipper get hit. Now, if that shipper said, or consignee in this case, said, you know what? I'm going to keep one guy. Instead of having my five guys all go to lunch at one time, I'm going to have one guy, just in case there's a carrier show up, he's going to take lunch at 1 p.m. Now he's there at noon, carrier comes in, the carrier gets unloaded, and off he goes. The rates for that particular client are going to be much better. So I was just going to say, Doug, you just read off the first two things off this list of 27 things you can do. So I think what I want to do is I want to put a link in this podcast. Check out Doug's. It's called How to Become a Shipper of Choice, and it is geared towards LTL shippers. We'd be here for the next hour talking about that. It's significant, though, that you start changing the way you think about that carrier relationship. Start becoming a better partner to your carriers, and you're going to get better rates. Yeah, and these are things that you can do from a shipper point of view that cost little or no money. 
Exactly. And and again, this is a great list. Doug, summarize this topic for us. Talk a little bit about what we want to do as a shipper to get, you know, again, become that shipper of choice. And then we'll talk a little bit about Redwood before we wrap up. Once shippers and constantes realize that the industry is very different, you know, you might have a shipping manager that's been there, you know, 20 years, or you might have the shipping manager was let go and now the purchasing manager or someone in accounting has taken over. They don't understand transportation. I think what carriers need to do is educate the clients, the shippers and the consignees much better to better understand their world. And I think shippers and consignees need to take note of that because there are things that they can do in this world because the revenue is not there to hide the sins of the old days back in the 70s. So this truly is, Joe, a partnership between shippers, consignees, and then the carriers. And the the sooner clients understand that and are willing to work with each other, it's going to be a much better environment. And carriers need to do the same thing. They have to be sympathetic to what a shipper or consignee goes through too. So that's a big change. That's something that in summary in this, Joe, that's really what I want to target in. That needs to take place. Yeah, if I could throw this out there too, is when you look at truckload, I think the largest truckload carry has like what, one and a half percent of the market, two percent of the market most. But when you come over to the less than truckload, the top 10 carriers, I think, move 80% of the volume. And I think the top 25 move 90% of the volume. So if you should say, I'll just find somebody else. There's a lot of places in this country where you look and say, there's three or four great carriers that have kind of the service footprint that you need, you have to find a way to work with them. That's correct. And that's to say there's no competition, but it's not like truckload where, you know, seems as if there's always another company interested. You're not going to find that in a less than truckload. No, you know, there really is not many good carriers on the LTL side. And, you know, they all have the same costs and they all have very competitive pricing. They all understand it. And when you start jumping ship, you burn some bridges in some cases. And then when, when you ultimately go back to that carrier, it's going to be at a different rate. Those carriers are going to remember those days. Yeah. And Doug, you've, uh, you've said this to me many times over the years is that the better, less than truckload carriers don't put up with guff because they don't have to. So if you decide, I'm going to call up and scream at them because they're late, if you're nasty to their drivers, if you make them wait too much, they might not give you a good price, but they might not work with you at all. That's true. In fact, I touch on this, Joe, in the Shipper of Choice document that uh, you'll have a link to. And really what happens is, and a lot of shippers don't realize this, but carriers have driver meetings. And in those driver meetings, they ask the question to the drivers, what customers do you like working with? And what customers do you not like working with? Because again, they want to keep their drivers happy today. And believe me, the drivers will be honest. Drivers are smart guys and women. They really are. And they will tell the truth and they know their game. And they will point blank say, we don't like working with XYZ shipper. And guess what happens when it's rate increase time on a renewal? Those shippers are going to feel for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Doug, let's wrap this bad boy up. Let's talk a little bit about Redwood. What's going on over at Redwood? I know you joined there, what, two years ago? Two years ago. And that was through some acquisition time. And I know uh, you guys are growing like a weed. So tell us a little bit what's going on over there. It's one of our growth goals is, is to continue that goal of growing. Redwood's a great company. I tell you, they got some unbelievable leadership. Our equity owner is great. And 
you know, this gentleman is an expert in the industry. So he certainly gets the 3PL space. Our executive leadership team is phenomenal. These are men and women that are committed. They're dedicated. They're very knowledgeable. They've built companies from the ground up. They know what they're talking about and they have great energy. And, you know, we're, we're looking to look at our shippers to say, you know, instead of just shipping LTL, why don't you ship LTL and maybe we'll put a TMS on top of that and maybe we'll consult with your, your technology or maybe we'll do your truckload as well with this or maybe we'll even do a managed service. So once we get a client in-house, you know, we're interested in really partnering with that client and to get them to, to explore other offerings that we have. And Redwood has done a great job investing in those other opportunities. Nice, nice. Well, I've had nothing but good things for you since you joined there. And I know you're a great leader yourself, Doug. So you're right where you belong. I really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, Doug. I should also say, I'm going to put a link to Doug's cool article. I think it's on the Redwood website. I'll make sure I get a link to that. And if you want to reach out to Doug, I will also put his LinkedIn profile in the show notes and along with the link to Redwood. Yeah, thank you, Joe. I appreciate the time. And uh, as you can tell, I, I have a lot of passion for this industry. I love it. So thank you very much. I know you do. I know you do. So uh, thank you so much, Doug. And thank you all for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Till next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 